O give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he has redeemed from trouble, and gathered in from the lands, from the east and from the west, from the north and from the south. Some wandered in desert wastes, finding no way to a city to dwell in. Hungry and thirsty, their soul fainted within them. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He led them by a straight way till they reached a city to dwell in. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of men. For he satisfies the longing soul, and the hungry soul he fills with good things. Thank you, cards. This is one area that my mom was really adamant uh, about in our growing up time, uh, that we would send thank you cards to people. And I believe that the main reason that she was adamant in teaching us this was because it seemed like we were always needing help from others. There were even times where we had to go on welfare, and so we needed help from the government. Uh, many government cheese sandwiches, which, by the way, are delicious. <laughs> and uh, there were times when we had to go on food stamps, times that family had to help us through a tough time. And I think that my mom's insistence on thankfulness prevented her and us as her children from adopting a sense of entitlement. You see, people who feel entitled to money, services, and overall happiness seem to be thankless. Why should they be thankful when they're only getting what they deserve, what they have coming to them? Just a few days ago, millions of Americans sat around tables filled with food, and perhaps some of you, like we did at our table, went around and we gave thanks for something uh, in the previous year, things that we uh, highlighted. But as we observe the trends of our generation, I wonder how much of that thankfulness was heartfelt. How many are truly appreciative of all that they have received from their parents? How many understand the sacrifice that their teachers have made in salary and prestige just to pour themselves into the lives of children? More importantly, how many bowed their heads over a plate of turkey or stuffing and gave thanks to the one who created them in the first place? The theme of thankfulness is very prevalent in scriptures. And this morning, instead of bashing all the ingrates, I would like to highlight five reasons that being thankful is so important for Christians. And so, with our refrigerators still bulging from leftovers from Thanksgiving Day, I want us to reflect on these reasons why it's important for us to be thankful. And each reason has a key verse that goes with it. And so the first verse that I would like us to look at this morning is Romans 121. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to those. Uh, there are pew Bibles in uh, front of you there as well. Romans 121 says, For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they, beca they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. And so first of all, thankfulness matters because it protects us from foolish thinking. This verse here shows us that uh, an attitude of ingratitude leads to a futile mind 
and a darkened heart. Now something that is futile is just useless, and so it leads to a useless mind. Imagine having a mind that can figure out quantum mechanics or advanced calculus, but in the end is considered to have been useless because it did not recognize why it was so brilliant in the first place. Did not recognize where the brilliance had come from. And the belief that everything randomly came into existence is quite convenient for those who do not wish to have uh, to answer to a moral authority. It reminds me of the environmentalist who said, why should ranchers keep killing cattle when we could just go down to the grocery store and buy the beef? <laughs> They're ignoring the source, where it came from. And if we ignore the source of everything, our lives spiral down into meaningless acts in a universe of chaos. No wonder there's so much depression around the holidays. There's no recognition of the one who gave us all of this. All acts are just random. It's all just chaos in the end. This verse also speaks of the darkness of heart that comes from a life of thanklessness. When we thank God, he shines his light on our hearts and he shows us how much he loves us. He shows us how much we need him. And that encourages us to be thankful to him. Admitting that we need God is not a sign of weakness, as some have claimed. It is the recognition that we only become ourselves when we are in connection and relationship with the one who created us. I like how C.S. Lewis put it. He said, a dog only becomes truly doggy when it interacts with humans. Men only become truly human when they interact with God. And so it keeps us from a futile mind and a darkened heart when we are thankful. The second verse I would like to highlight this morning is Ephesians 5.4. It says, Let there be no filthiness or foolish talk, nor crude joking which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. And so thankfulness matters because it raises the conversation out of the mud. Have you ever noticed that people that have very coarse language or crude jesting are usually very cynical and thankless? They use vulgar statements to describe the government, people who've slighted them, and amazingly, even their loved ones. This verse in Ephesians seems to indicate that those people whose mouths are filled with those words have no room for thankfulness. But on the flip side, when we fill our mouths with thankfulness, it pushes out crude joking, swearing and jesting and those kinds of things. Back when I was a kid in Wisconsin, uh, right down the road from us, I had a step-uncle who lived there. And we would go down to their trailer and we would uh, hang out and my dad would talk to him and I'd stand there and listen to them talking. I've never heard somebody use the F word so many times in one conversation. I mean, it seemed like every sentence had that as the main adjective that he would use. And I think for him, he meant it to be sort of impressive, you know, impressing people with his adult language. But really what it did for me was it made me pity him. <laughs> because I thought to myself, 
This guy can't come up with a better word to use than that. And to me, it just lowered the conversation into the mud. It just brought it down. And I found him to be a very cynical guy, you know, not thankful for anything. And so uh, what was meant to impress people did just the opposite. But a thankful heart is an elevated heart. And so when we are thankful, it elevates our hearts. It elevates our speech. It elevates our thoughts. Next, I'd like to look at Philippians 4, 6 here. It says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And so, thankfulness matters because it cures anxiety. Just as thankfulness that fills the mouth replaces filthy speech, Thankfulness that fills the mind replaces worry. I want you to notice here in the verse, it doesn't just say that prayer and supplication do the trick. Supplication is just asking for something. That doesn't cure anxiety. It's when prayer and supplication are connected with thankfulness. They're combined together. And you can make a connection with this concept when you think about how others approach you sometimes when they're asking for something, okay? How many times have you had people come up to you and you realize that they're not really interested in you? <laughs> they're not really interested in a relationship with you. They just want something. I've seen this many times with drug-addicted people. I'll be out walking around down the road and I recognize somebody who's drug-addicted. They come up to me and I've seen, I've been seen many people that are drug-addicted so I know what the key signs are, and they come up and they act like they like you. <laughs> or they'll have a conversation. Hey, how's your day going? They don't care how your day is going. They want their next fix. They're only thinking about themselves. But when you think about thankfulness and you think about in connection with anxiety, when we are thankful to God, when we are thankful and come to him based on the relationship, not what we can get from him, it helps us not to worry. I know you've also probably had people that have come to you and you know that they're asking you for something, but you also know that your relationship will not change if you say no to them. Because they're more worried about the relationship with you than they are the thing that you can give them. Imagine how God must feel so many times. People don't recognize the relationship with him and that they're always asking him for something or maybe a tragedy comes or a health issue comes into their life and now suddenly God exists, right? How would you feel as a parent if that was all your children ever did? Was come to you trying to get this thing, get this thing, get this thing and there was no development of the relationship. Now this is kind of what, the way it is when kids are young, right? They're so needy and demanding. But as they mature and as they grow and become adults, you hope that they transition into an attitude of thankfulness in recognizing that the relationship is way more important than the thing you can get from somebody else. The next reason about thankfulness has two supportive verses. In 1 Timothy 4, 4 it says, for everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving. 
And then similarly, Paul states his main point again in 1 Corinthians 10.30, where he asks the question, if I partake with thankfulness, why am, I, why am I denounced because of that for which I give thanks? And so, thankfulness matters because it opens up possibilities for enjoyment. In both of these situations here, Paul is defending Christian freedoms. He's defending the freedom to eat and to drink and to enjoy things in life. In the Timothy passage here, he's coming directly against those who are still stuck on the Old Testament food laws. But if we think about Peter and his vision of Cornelius, okay? He's on the roof and he sees this vision. And in the vision, there is lowered down these animals, all different kinds of animals, clean and unclean animals in regards to the Old Testament law. And God speaks to him and says, rise and kill and eat, meaning rise and kill and eat these, <laughs> all the different kinds of animals. And Peter says, no, never, Lord. I've never eaten anything unclean. And then the Lord says, what I have called clean, do not call unclean. Now, really what that was, was a picture of the Jews and the Gentiles. In the Old Testament, God was focused on his people. They were the clean, and the Gentiles were the unclean. And so, the food laws were a symbol of something that God was doing in the spiritual. And when the New Testament came and Jesus came, suddenly the gospel was open to the Gentiles, and we could now become God's children as well because of what Christ did on the cross. And so Paul is saying here, if I give thanks for something, the Old Testament laws don't apply to me. I can eat whatever I want. Amazingly, the second example that he gives in 1 Corinthians is even more shocking. Because what he's talking about there is he's talking about uh, eating things that are found in the marketplace without having an issue of conscience about whether or not those things were sacrificed to idols. What they used to do in those days is they would sacrifice things uh, to an idol, but they would not burn them up. They would just lay them before the idol. And then they would take the things again, and they would sell them in the marketplace. In a modern co uh, context, think about going into an Asian restaurant. Have you ever gone in and seen like a little shrine set up? Maybe there's a Buddha or there's some kind of um, shrine to a family member or something like that. And there's all kinds of food that they lay out in front of that. What that is is an offering. And so what if they, after they made their offering, took the food, went back in the kitchen, chopped it up, and served it to you? Should you be concerned about that? And Paul here is saying, no. Because why should I be concerned about something that I am thankful for? Because there is no God but one. And he's the one that I give thanks to in, in these circumstances. And so being thankful for these things can open up enjoyment in your life. And that's kind of a shock to some people. <laughs> you mean God wants me to actually enjoy my life? To enjoy the food that I eat? To enjoy the things that I drink? And so, as we think about these in the modern context, a couple of things come to mind. Uh, for instance, the issue of alcohol. Alcohol in and of itself is not a sin to drink alcohol. By the way, Jesus drank alcohol, <laughs> all right? The reason that we know that he drank alcohol was because there was no other way to drink Passover wine except for alcoholic wine. 
the only time of the year was the time when it was not Passover to drink grape juice. That's just from freshly crushed grapes. Because the grape season was only at one time of the year. In the times when it was not the grape season and when there were not any grapes available, you had to keep the grape juice somehow. And back then, we didn't have refrigeration, right? They didn't have things like international shipping, where you could ship stuff from other places that had a grape season to now. They didn't have preservatives. Well, they did have one preservative. It was called fermentation. And so they would ferment that wine, and then they would drink it with thanksgiving. But also remember that when we think about alcohol, it's like anything else. It's like things like food, sex. As long as we are thanking God for the thing that we are partaking of and not letting it become our master, but still having the relationship of God as our master, then we can safely do so. But for some people, they have to take extra steps of care because maybe it has become a master to them in the past. That's why we have addictions. Maybe you have to take special care around food or around things that are related to sex because these things are meant to be enjoyed, but they can also become an idol for us. They can become a god for us. And so when we have that thankfulness, that places the relationship as a predominant focus, not the thing itself. Next we see here that uh, in 1 Thessalonians 5.18 where it says, Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you, that thankfulness matters because it gives us joy in the midst of suffering. Many times when I ask people about the main goals that they have for their children, I get, well, I get one answer almost every time. And the answer is, I want my kids to be happy and to live a good life, all right? The main problem is that continual happiness is not realistic. <laughs> That's not the way that life works. And my main hope for my children is that they will be able to find joy in the midst of whatever circumstances they are in. Because happiness is different than joy. Happiness is circumstantial. That's why we say things like, that made me happy, right? Because there was a circumstance that produced some emotions in us, and it made us happy, and we enjoyed it rather than not enjoyed it. But joy is different because joy is closely connected with hope. You can find joy because of the hope that you have, that things in that circumstance are actually for your good and that God oversees those things, that he knows about them. And so you can still make a choice. Paul was one of the most joyful men in the Bible, but he also faced the most suffering in many circumstances. And so as you go through your time and you can give thanks even in the midst of sorrow, even in the midst of suffering, even in the midst of situations where relationships are crumbling and you can still find joy and hope in the midst of those things. You don't have to look to be happy all the time. And so we think about 
Uh, I was just thinking about a, a movie when I was writing this sermon. Uh, the movie is called Courageous. Um, in this movie, there's a, a main character, and his daughter, who's seven years old, dies in a tragic car accident. Is hit by a drunk driver in an intersection. And so he's shattered. He's struggling with this. And he's struggling with his faith. And he goes to his pastor and asks, how can I make it through this time together with my family? We're just crumbling here. And the pastor says this, either you can be mad at God for the time that you didn't have with your daughter, or you can be thankful for the time that you did have. And so we notice there this attitude of thanksgiving, even in the midst of suffering, thankful for the time that we did have with them. You know, ultimately, we don't have control of our lives. All of these things are out of our control. We spend so much time trying to control every aspect of our lives, and then these things randomly come in and out of our lives that affect us and change our views of things. Solomon said it this way, Again I saw under the sun that the race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, nor bread to the wise, nor riches to the intelligent, nor favor to the one with knowledge. But listen, time and chance happen to us all. What happened to that person that was such a great person and had a tragic thing happen in their life? Time and chance. It happens to us all. It goes around. And you may be struggling and wondering, why did this happen to me? It's because you're a human being and you're part of this whole process. But we can still thank God even in the midst of time and chance as it happens to us because we know with God, he has control of it all. It's not random. Thank you, cards. They're a simple reminder that we all need help from a friend now and then. You can't really mail one to God, right? But we can give him a thank you card. It's called prayer. When we pray to God and we thank him for all of those things that we have been given. And just a bit of an exercise for you as you um, go into your prayer closet or your prayer life in the future here, maybe over the next few days as you're praying, I would encourage you to take note of your prayers. Are your prayers just a list God do this, God do this, so God pray for this person, pray for this person. Or is there an attitude of thanksgiving in the midst of it? And perhaps you need to step back and just reflect on how much God has done in your life and those things that he's continuing to do. Thank you for tuning in to this sermon series from Elam. If you are encouraged today, would you consider supporting our online ministry through a financial contribution? Personal checks can be made out to Elam Lutheran Church and sent to 11504 26th Street, Northeast, Lake Stevens, Washington, 98258. Or you can give online at elamlutheran.net. Thank you and may God bless you the rest of your day.